How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey friends, today's guest is Kevin Martin, lead vocalist for the Seattle, Washington rock band Candlebox. Kevin was kind enough to give us all the inside scoop surrounding the deeply personal subject matter behind their 1994 smash hit single, Far Behind. The track taken from their self-titled 1993 debut album just might be the best feel-good success story so far on Krista Makes a Podcast. I mentioned to Kevin that I respect the fact that Candlebox has always kind of done their own thing. Being from Seattle, they didn't fit that prototype grunge sound. They didn't sound like the jangly pop of the early 90s or anything that was happening a few years earlier in the 80s. They really had a sound all their own. The tours that surrounded their first record couldn't have been any more eclectic either, sharing the stage with such bands as Rush, Metallica, Aerosmith, Living Color, Rollins Band, and The Flaming Lips. Excuse the pun, but it was hard to fit these guys into a box. Speaking of Rush, their drummer Neil Peart shared some really cool insight with Candlebox when they toured together, one of the highest compliments he could have paid the band. For all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. All right, Kevin, how's it going? Good, man. Big fan. Big fan of you as well. And I don't know if you remember, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, uh, hanging out, we were, we were both pretty, uh, pretty inebriated <laughs> less than jake played a show with candlebox i want to say it was like an amherst mass it was yeah. like during uh december when we do those radio shows yeah. they would call them the radio station would bring you in it's probably bcn in boston and we played with you guys and uh, ended up uh, talking to you that i think you guys were supporting uh happy pills during that point yeah uh probably and uh so it's so it's been a long time it has been uh it's 20 years now 22 years yeah I do remember I'm, I'm one of those um, unfortunate people that remembers all those amazingly unfortunate instances. And, uh, <laughs> and we were very drunk and it was a very good time. And uh, it's a pleasure to meet you again 22 years later. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I got to say, this is well into over a year now with the podcast. I have done somewhere around probably 70 episodes. And uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. This is one of the most interesting songs and you're one of the more interesting bands i've profiled and and I'll, I'll get into that reason it's it's kind of amazing you know you guys were formed in 1990 you're a seattle band but you you never really fit in with the seattle sound as it was that whole thing that was happening uh you almost had everything against you not to get signed um you know you you had uh, a guy kelly gray produced the record kelly has a, a background in metal you know you don't have that uh low baritone growl of of the eddie vetters and the scott wylands and here the band gets signed to maverick records which was uh founded by madonna in 1992 and you were the first success for the label you were what 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 put that label on the map with this record so i kind of want to want to go back a little bit you know from from 1990 uh till the release of the record in july of 93 you know you guys were were gigging i'm assuming around seattle and you had to have seen this whole thing around you uh happening mother love bone pearl jam all these bands nirvana of course and you were able to have your own nobody sounded like candlebox 
There's nobody that sounded sounds like your band. When you go back and you research that time, you had your own sound. Was there any pressure from Maverick or getting in your guys' head, seeing what happened in '91 and '92 with Pearl Jam and all the bands around you to to change your sound, or did you did you stick to your guns? No, we uh, we stuck to our guns. We were, I mean, one of the reasons that we chose Maverick was because of Freddie Demand. Um, his history with Lionel Richie, Madonna, um, of course, Michael Jackson, and his contemporary view of of popular music and allowing us to to produce the record we wanted to produce because we knew what we were doing that's kind of why we we went with maverick you know freddie was just so kind of gracious and supportive even though guy of series one who signed us um you know we were his first signing i think he was uh interning at maverick records uh at the time to kind of prove himself so and so grateful that that guy actually stumbled upon a, a showcase we were playing in los angeles you know um it just seems like lifetimes ago. Um, but that's, you know, really why we went with Maverick Records is because we want, we had produced this demo tape that we recorded Easter Sunday of 1992. Um, you had to have a cassette tape or, or some sort of music to provide um, to the venues in Seattle in order to play shows. And we were, our bass player wasn't 21 yet. So um, we couldn't play any of the bars. Seattle had very strict liquor laws. Uh, as a matter of fact, they didn't release, you know, you couldn't just open a bar. You actually had to have food if you wanted to have liquor in your bar. It was pretty crazy. So we were playing friends' basements. We were playing all ages venues. We were playing a sports bar that had food because if it had food, then you could go in there and play because that meant the children could be in there. We were considered children uh, being under the age of 21. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what happened to us was, you know, we really had to wait until Barty was 21. So, we made this demo tape, which had the original, uh, which the version Far Behind and You that are on the debut album are from the original demo tape. That's kind of, you know, where we knew what we were doing basically with Kelly because he was so good at producing and his mixes were, you know, honestly, second to none on that demo tape. And, and, uh, and you know, really the only thing we had to do for the, for the debut album was match the mastering levels um, from, from those demos. So... I think Freddie recognized that and said, you guys know what you're doing and, and we're going to let you do it. And, um, and Warner Brothers being the backing behind Maverick, you know, really just said, okay, well, we'll, we'll do what, what you need us to do, Freddie. And, um, and that's kind of how it all started. And, and we got flown down to Los Angeles to play a showcase in 93 based on um, that demo tape and the rest is history, really. Right. And, you know, and Kelly Gray, he comes from uh, the background, you know, uh, with, with the Queensryche guys. And, of course, he's... Myth, realms, all that stuff, yeah. Sure. And, and Kelly's went on to do to do a ton of a ton of stuff after you guys. But you guys were kind of the, the breakout project for him. How did you get involved with him? Why, why was why was he the choice of, of producer? Because he, he seemed a little left field at that time. Well, cause Scott, our drummer, is, he's a few years older than us. I think Scott's about five years older than me. He had been in a band with Kelly or he was in myth and Kelly was in realms and they had played shows together. And because they were both so kind of progressive in their rock and roll, Scott mentioned it. He thought Kelly would be a, a, a good choice for us as a producer, just because of his ears. We had the songs. We knew what we were doing as, as a, as a, um, as a musical entity, but we needed a producer to take us to the next level. And Kelly's uh, you know, just Scott was pretty adamant about Kelly's, producing technique as was rick parashar um at london bridge studios rick uh knew kelly really well and uh, rick had of course done the, the pearl jam 10 album and temple of the dog yeah. and, and alice in chains and a lot of that stuff so trusting that rick kind of trusted kelly using that neve console at london bridge studios and, and that he knew what he was doing just kind of solidified it for us um and you know we, we made a second record with kelly <laughs> that didn't go so well but, you know, he certainly got the first one right. Right. Well, and you jogged a memory. Our uh, sax player, we played New Year's Eve of 1995 in Spokane, Washington. And he was only 20 at the time. And the security escorted him onto the stage from outside and escorted him off after the show because he wasn't 21. <laughs> so there was there was strict laws back uh, back in Washington State in those days. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Again, researching what you guys had done early early as a band here. I just don't even know if the label, maybe you guys knew really where you fit in. I mean, you look who you were touring with. You were part of Rush on their Counterparts tour. You did a Shed tour with Metallica. Of course, you were on main stage at Woodstock 94. You did stints with Living Color, Offspring, Aerosmith, Radiohead, and the Flaming Lips. I mean, you know. And Henry Rollins. And Henry, oh wow, Henry, I, I didn't have that on here. Henry, yeah. Henry Rollins. Yeah. It's interesting. There's not 
Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice, Stone, Temple Pilots, any of those bands, you know, you, I don't know necessarily if, if you were grunge enough to play with them. And it seems like you were, you were kind of all, all over the place in, in a respect. To be honest with you, the reason that, you know, we, we got the Metallica tour is that we were selling 170,000 records a week. And, you know, we were supposed to be supporting Alice in Chains on that as well as Suicidal Tendency. So it's supposed to be Suicidal, Candlebox, Alice in Chains, and Metallica. And uh, Lane went into rehab, so Alice had to pull out of, of the tour. And at that wow. point, our record was doing so well. We had like the number 10 record in the country. Um, you know, Metallica was like, well, that's a strong enough foundation to bring a band like that on tour with us to kind of take that slot of Alice and Chains. So I think that really was kind of why we got that. I don't know if Alice or if, uh, Metallica really liked Candlebox. You know, we always took bands on the road that we liked, but I'm not really sure that um, those guys were listening to our record. I, I think it was kind of management said, hey, you know, you've got an opportunity or a band that's doing a lot of um, movement at radio and, and they're moving a lot of units, can probably sell some tickets for you. Not that they needed us to, but that it was a good support for them. Um, the the right. rush thing was more, those guys chose us. They, they really, and we spent 16 weeks with them. So, and they explained it to us, um, you know, uh, in, in not so many words as we chose you because we really like your band. We love what you're doing. We love the progressive elements of it. We love that you're using melody. You're, you're using chord progressions that aren't standard in, in today's music and rock and roll. And uh, and they they really spent a lot of time with us talking to us about our show. Uh, Neil Pert was actually the guy who came up with our set list about seven shows into a tour with them. Uh, and he said, listen, I like what you're doing, but I think that these songs would work better, better here because you've got 45 minutes. And, and I, uh, he's like, I really think that we should try that out. And when he did that, he was actually right. Um, we played the, that set list in San Diego and we never changed it from that point on. Wow. That's like the highest compliment in the world to get the, uh, approval of rush. Congratulations. That's yeah. a really, that's a really cool story. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, they, they were they were the kindest, uh, most amazing musicians, as were the guys in Living Color and and uh, Metallica. I mean, everybody we've ever toured with, we've been fortunate enough to have, a, a, you know, a, a kind of a great relationship with on that tour. The Flaming Lips guys were a little bit different because, you know, they were they were so alternative and they were so different than anything that was happening musically uh, in in. in even in the nineties, for God's sakes, um, Barty and I were great fans of theirs and had, uh, several of the records, you know, prior to the, to the 94 release, we had, uh, in a priest driven ambulance and a lot of the early stuff that had come out, um, like in the eighties. Um, so when we asked them to go on the road, they're like, well, I'm not really sure why you want us to tour with you. And we're like, well, we really love what you're doing. And, and we want to basically we want to up our game and you're the type of band that does that. And they blew us away every night. They were far better musicians, um, far better band um, than we could ever have hoped to have been at that point. And it's really because Wayne, Ronald, Michael, and Steven at that time, which was the lineup were such a driving force musically on stage that we, we really felt that that was something that not only we wanted to watch every night, but we wanted to learn from. And, um, you know, just yeah. like we had learned from uh, Rush, we'd learned from Living Color, certainly, uh, as a phenomenal band. Those mus The musicianship in that band was unreal. And it was really yeah. just about gravitating towards something that was going to teach us something about ourselves and and give us something to to take away from at the end of the day for our future as as musicians. Yeah, and I and I really mean it uh, with all sincerity. It just it goes to show you all these different bands. It's you didn't sound like anybody. You know, labels and management they wanted to get you out on a, on a tour. That okay, here's the grunge bands, here's the punk bands, here's this tour. And you know, you you guys definitely had your own sound. And just looking at who you tour with, it was just it was really all, all all over the place. But very cool at the same time because you had to go out and and, and try to win over these crowds, which uh, <laughs> a Metallica crowd's not easy to win over. Fuck that Meta uh, Metallica. Crowd, talk about that Russia's crowd. That's the hard. That was the hardest one. I bet it's all uh, a bunch of dudes with their arms folded, uh, critiquing you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of this, a lot of middle yeah. finger. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I don't it, like your I don't like your amp setup. No. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that's a that, that's that's a great story about Rush. That was really really cool for you for you to share. We're gonna jump into the song here in a moment. Just want to uh, ask you. You know, you had mentioned that that demo. And you said some of the songs like You and Far Behind were in there. How many more songs on that demo ended up on the debut record? Six total. 
So basically, basically those six songs are, are, are what got you signed. And, and then, then you started working on, on the record. Yeah. Um, after that, we, we wrote Blossom. We wrote Arrow. Uh, we wrote He Calls Home. I think about five of the, of the, of the debut tracks are from after the, de- the demo tape was done. And the song we're going to talk about today is, of course, Far Behind. Was that one of the one of the what you felt was a standout track was Kelly? You know, what, what did Kelly think of it initially when you were going in to cut the record? <laughs> um, well, Kelly was like, this is a fucking monster. You know, I mean, he was like, are you guys, how did you write this? And, and the funny story is we needed a bass player um, in October of 91. Our, our guitar player, Pete, fired our bass player, Perry, on Perry's birthday. <laughs> and uh, and we were playing a show in like three or four weeks. And I was like, we need a bass player. I called my friend Sarah from high school. She's like, yeah, Barty. And I was like, I don't know who Barty is. And she's like, yeah, Laura's brother. And I'm like, I, I know Laura. I don't know Barty. And long story short, Barty had been in um, Europe going to uh, for a foreign exchange program in Ireland. So I didn't know him, but I knew his sister very well. And Barty came down to rehearsal and the, the bass line of Far Behind, which is the guitar part now, was the first thing he brought to us. Um, and we turned that into Far Behind. So, um, oh, wow. And, and we, knew it was a, we knew it was a good song. Uh, we knew that it was going to be something that um, people were going to gravitate to because it's a ballad and ballads are you know, notorious. I'm a huge Journey fan and, and I love, you know, big, big smashes. <laughs> you know, I mean, we all love them. And, um, and uh, so... I didn't, I mean, I, I really didn't know at the time I was singing the, the lyric was now Andy, I didn't mean to treat you bad, but I did it anyway. And then in the studio, I changed it and Kelly's like, wait, you're changing the lyric. I thought it was now Andy. I said, yeah, I, I don't really know if I want this to be that relevant or that poignant um, or obvious to a listener. Were you referencing Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bone? Yeah, yeah, and um, oh wow, and Andy was Andy was a huge inspiration uh, to me and and. I loved everything he had done, Malfunction and, you know, and Love Bone and, and you know, all this kind of crazy solo shit. So Kelly really said, well, then let's make sure that this is done right. So we spent a lot of time on the tones for the guitars and the drums and the bass for that. And then the vocals, I only had the first verse written. I didn't have the chorus written. And um, in the process of recording that song, I think I did vocals at four in the morning. That's when the whole song came to me. So that actually is... Far behind is one take um, from beginning to end. Uh, and then I did two or three more passes at it. And Kelly ended up using the um, the main, the first vocal we did, which is where I made up the lyrics for um, the chorus and the second verse. Thank you for saying that. Because I, I, when I was researching this, I got to tell you, Kevin, it felt like a first take, like certain parts you were what I call scatting, just off the cuff doing it. It felt so natural. Yeah. And, and, and the, having you say that, make, I just, that, that's awesome. Yeah. That's okay. really cool. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm able to do that. I think, Growing up the way I did musically in, in, in my family, music was always around and Otis Redding and a lot of the, the great gospel and, um, and rhythm and blues was something that was in the household all the time. And I learned a lot from those types of singers about to let your emotion kind of lead you through the song. I rarely write lyrics uh, prior to uh, recording a track. I, I like to let the, the music dictate to me what it wants to 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 wants me to tell it. That's amazing because how many times have we done demos where we're just kind of singing off the top <laughs> of our head something and then that ends up being the lyric because yeah. you can't best it. Yeah. You can't beat you can't beat that emotion. I've talked to that so many about that so many times on this show. Uh, I want to jump into this song again. Probably the most interesting song in terms of a hit single that I've previewed on the on the show. You know, this song is four minutes and fifty nine seconds. That's pretty long for a song to get on the radio. And there's nothing here really you can cut out to, to, to take it to radio. Maybe there was a radio edit. I, I don't recall, but the progression of this song never, never changes from G E minor seven D to a C add nine chord. It's, it's, it's the whole progression of the song, which you'd think that would get tedious after five minutes, but I didn't realize it till I picked up the guitar and started going through this. I'm like, wow, it's just, it's about the story and about what you're singing here. It really is. The, the, the music's kind of the background, I think, to, to, to what's happening here and, and the tones and, what, and what's going on and how Kelly produced it. And, and we're going to jump in now. Uh, there's an 11-second intro with that, that clean guitar. There's like a chorus effect on it. It's panned off more uh, to the left 
uh, or to the right, excuse me, with the effect and the left, the, the actual guitar. And, and that panning, it just, it just does something. It, it, it's, it's really cool. Was that something that was done in the mix or, or something you were discussing in the studio with Kelly, if you remember? That was in the mix. Kelly, um, it was funny when we went to mix the, that track, um, you know, for the, <laughs> for the demo tape, um, it was on an old, uh, Robert Lang studios had this really amazing old need console. You know, we had 24 hours in the studio to make this demo tape. That's all we could afford. So, at, you know, six in the morning, uh, when we're finished with everything and we're, and we're, we're in the mix mode, we're all kind of sitting on faders and, and pan knobs and stuff to, because you have to, that was back before you obviously in uh, automation and shit. So we had to make that, that pass to tape happen at the moment. And I think that the effect of that, the, the chorus effect on the right, I think was an accident. Um, I, if I recall correctly, that the pan knob on the one fader that was running for, for the effects loop was reversed. Kelly had wanted it to be a separate clean track with the, with the chorus effect on the left so that when the vocal came in, it kind of set, it, it found its way into the middle and then that guitar would open up as the vocal. And that just so happened that it was, I, I believe that that's what happened. It was an accident with that, that pan knob. And if you listen to, if you were to get a hold of that cassette tape, you'll find that most of the guitar is, that chorus effect is doing that because we set it there thinking that it was, and I think the speakers may have even been out of phase as well. And that's why it kind of sat in the middle when we listened to it and it sounded right. Then we got the tape and we're like, oh, it's over here. And they were like, it's great. And, you know, that's a, one of those happy accidents you get. It is super cool, man. And it's a, it's a beautiful guitar tone and that, and that riff's iconic. It just takes me right back to, to the early nineties when, yep. you know, as soon as, soon as you hear it, you, you know what track it is. Hey everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after these messages from our sponsors. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. And now, back to the show. We're into verse one in, in 12 seconds. The same intro riff, that guitar uh, riff continues through verse one. Uh, it's still panned off to the left. Now maybe, did I mean to treat you better? But I did it anyway. Now maybe, some say a lot will say, but you lived it anyway. So maybe your friends will stand around you watch you crumble as you fall down to the ground and then someday your friends will stand beside as you were flying oh you were flying all so high but then someday people look at you they what the call their own they watch you suffer Someday we can take our time To brush the leaves aside So you can reach us Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this whole uh, bit of lyrics here And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you set it up uh, Now maybe I didn't mean to treat you bad but I did it anyway. And right here, the band comes in. Uh, the bass and drums are playing a simple yet tasty groove, giving the vocal ample space to tell this story. It's nothing flashy. They're just kind of kind of laying back there. And again, that guitar riff's going all, all through this whole verse. And then maybe, some would say your life was sad, but you lived it anyway. And so maybe, your friends, they stand around, they watch you crumble. 
as you falter to the ground, and then someday, your friends, they stand beside you as we're flying. Oh, you were flying oh so high. But then someday, people look at you for what they call their own. They watch you suffer. Yeah, they hear you calling home. And then someday, we could take our time to brush the leaves aside so you can reach us. But you left me far behind. And I have chills reading those now because, Kevin, I never knew what this was about until you told, you mentioned it earlier about, about Andy. Mm. Yeah, well... That's heavy. Thank you. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's what the song is. The song is the heroin. It's the drug that's that's speaking to Andy. He was, uh, I mean, uh, everyone knows, um, an incredible talent who suffered greatly for his for his art because of this addiction to heroin. I don't know if anybody's ever written a song from the perspective of you know of of an actual substance, um, other than me. I've never spoken to anybody who has, but I I didn't share that for a long long time because uh, you know I, you want the song to be what it is for people and love songs yeah. or you know breakup songs or whatever. But it really my the only way I could address what it was that I felt for um, for Andy's struggle was by speaking from that perspective. Like in the song "You," I speak from perspective outside looking in at myself. But with this song, I wanted to tell that story because heroin is, is, you know, it's the same argument. People say with guns, don't kill people, people kill people with guns and gun. The gun is the, is the unit as to which the life is taken, but it's in the hands of, of the user. And uh, that's the same with drugs and, and substances, alcohol, abuse, whatever that, that substance is there. If you choose to use it, it's going to be very, very detrimental to you. Um, if you can't handle liquor, you shouldn't drink it. it. It can end up ruining your entire life. Certainly heroin at the time was um, the, the real problem in Seattle. I mean, Lane was struggling with it. Um, There's so many, uh, the girls from L7, uh, Seven Year yeah, Bitch, Kurt. Kurt was struggling with it. Um, a lot of musicians that you guys don't even know about from Seattle that were struggling with it. So I wanted to reach out to him through that process saying, and it's not that I'm, you know, condoning heroin use or anything like that. It just was the only way I felt like I could say, I'm really sorry that you're gone and, um, and pay homage to this person that sat down with me in a shoe store when I was 16 years old and talked to me about music and inspired me to be a singer in a rock and roll band, you know? Um, and that's what Andy was to me. And I, I, that's why I changed the lyric from now Andy to now maybe so that it, it became so, a song for everybody. And so when, you know, Andy hears it, hopefully, um, you know, it makes him think about all of us down here that miss him and his talent. Uh, and, and it, there's not a, a show that goes by that when I don't sing that song that I don't think about him every single time, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things. Uh, he was just such an incredible talent. And, uh, and, and I missed that, you know, I missed that part of the Seattle music scene that, you know, he was so glamorous and he was so fucking ostentatious and out there. And, you know, that all kind of died when he did. Um, and, and, and that was um, very sad for me, you know, being a 16 year old kid meeting this, uh, you know, kind of musical idol of mine. He, he was iconic and, and every band from that era mentions him as an influence and mentions, mentions him in, in pretty much the same light, light that you have. You know, again, there's no pre-chorus here. The simplicity of this song, and I say that with the in the highest regard, the simplicity of this is amazing. A five-minute song with the same chord progression that ended up being this massive hit. On paper, you don't think it would work, yeah. and, it, and it did. You know, it, in a minute and 16 seconds, we're into the chorus, pretty much the, the kind of the last line of verse one, you know, when you say, hey, but you left me far behind, that's kind of the start of the chorus. Yeah. And on the line... Now, maybe the big stereo guitars come in, the intro riff drops out, but the band's still going, these big guitars come in, and the lyric is, now maybe, I didn't mean to treat you oh so bad, but I did it anyway. researching the lyrics kevin i the first thing i do is i'll go to google print them out you know or if i have the record i'll try to read them off the record and then i just i really critique and listen but it makes so much sense that you were free freestyling in the studio because this lyric isn't online and it almost sounds like but i did it anyway and are you are you saying i'm saying after that 
Yeah. But I did it anyway. I'm saying, okay. Yeah. But maybe some would say you're left with what you had, but you couldn't share the pain. And something interesting happens on the what you had, but you couldn't share the pain. Right there, this octave guitar comes in that's panned over to the right speaker. It's the only time it happens in the song. Yeah. It doesn't happen after the second chorus. No. And it's so cool. It's so cool. How did, how did that happen? Was it ever in the second chorus and Kelly pulled it or you guys decided not to have it? It's such a great part. Pete forgot to play it. <laughs> yeah, he forgot to play it. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's interesting because it, it was such a new song for us in the studio when we were tracking it. And, you know, overdubs, I think really the only overdubs in this are the stereo guitars and the choruses and then the solo obviously was an overdub, but yeah. So you pretty much cut this, cut this live off the floor together. We did, we cut this live. Um, and I, and I sang what I knew in the song, you know, for the guys to get through the parts and then it was time for me to do the vocals. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, that was I just an accident. We, he Kelly forgot to, you know, we didn't even have that chart where you go, okay, that part's done. That part's done. Oh, we got that. We got to do it again. in the second chorus, it just, we forgot about it. And it's probably because it was four in the morning, you know, and, and we were exhausted. And again, for the listeners, this record was recorded analog to tape. It wasn't like now where you could just go, Oh, we're just going to copy that part and fly it over here in a computer, you know, yep. with, with pro tools and, and some of the other recording software that's out there uh, these days. So I really like how a matter of fact, you were, Oh, Pete forgot to play it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, it happens, you know. I remember everything. I'm, you know, I'm the amazing. One. No, you're, you're, you're like me, and that's that. This is a, this is a great conversation. That's awesome that you remember that because I'm sitting there at the second course. I'm like, where's the octave guitar? Yeah, where's it at? Because yeah. it's so cool. But at the same time, there is a certain charm that it's only there the one time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we had a lot of those happy accidents on the on the record, and and uh, if you overthink stuff, that's what happens. You know when you make your second record and all of a sudden, you know, everything is overthought and, you know, I'm just so grateful that we had this opportunity to record this song the way we did under such pressure, uh, you know, 24 hours in studio because we could only afford $1,850. You know, that's, that's why we got it. I think maybe if we'd had added that on the second course, it would take away from the, that kind of special sparkle that happens there. Was this actually a, a, a re-recording from the original demo, though, we're speaking no, of? that's the original demo. That is incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. We tried to re-record it um, in the studio, and we just couldn't, we, we couldn't capture it. Freddie was like, no, you, you're, you're not capturing it. We'll use the demo. We'll match it. And, and listening back to this, again, there's a certain, there's, and I don't mean this like the performance isn't there, but there's a certain rawness and looseness to this track, especially with your vocal, yeah. that it almost now it, it makes sense that it's a demo. How many people get a five minute demo onto the radio <laughs> and then sell 4 million albums, Kevin? It yeah. just, it, it, it doesn't happen, bro. <laughs> like... I pinch that's myself awesome. every day. I pinch myself every day, man. Dude, that is awesome. Thank like you. that's like one of the best feel good stories ever on the show. You know, you made a demo and it became uh, because again, you couldn't escape this song in 90. It was really 94. The record was 93, but this song blew up in the spring of 94. Yeah, that was, was a release. It was it it was it was all over the place. And yep. uh that is awesome. No, I heard you saying the demo, and then you're like, well, yeah, we only had 1,850 bucks to do the 24 hour. I'm thinking, wait a second. I'm, I think he's referring that this is the demo. This is the same the same thing here. So you squashed my question that I was going to ask, that, did the song evolve from the demo? No, this this was what it was. Yeah, that that's the, the demo version that was recorded at 4 o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday. So cool. Well, after chorus one drops back down, we get into verse number two, this big stereo guitars drop out. And this verse is a little bit shorter than verse one. Hey, but you left me far behind. 
begins with no, no, no. Couldn't share the pain. They watch you suffer. And then you, you do this like, mm-hmm, little thing, which again, I think that it, it was kind of a place placeholder there. This was a demo. You didn't have another lyric and it was just some emotion that you were feeling and, and, and that came onto the track. Now, maybe I could have made my own mistakes, but I live with what I've known. And then maybe we might share in something rare. But won't you look at where we've grown? Won't you look at where we've gone? But then someday comes. Tomorrow holds a sense of what I feel for you in my mind. It's actually fear. Trip. It's Is it fear? Fear for okay. you in my mind, yeah. Tomorrow holds a sense of what I fear for you in my mind. As you trip the final line and that cold day when you lost control. Shame you left my life so soon. You should have told me, hey, but you left me far behind. And right here before chorus two, I love it. Uh, pan off to the right speaker. There's a guitar slide. Yeah. That comes in right there. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it just, uh, I don't know, just kind of, kind of lifts into chorus two. So again, set up these, uh, these lyrics for verse two. Well, that's the same thing. You know, it's, it's that, um, it's the reality of, of, of Andy's existence and, in the first verse, when I close it with the brushing leaves aside so you can reach us, you know, that's obviously visiting the grave and, and you know, cleaning that off so you can look at the, the headstone and whatnot. But the second verse is really just about everybody was watching Andy and everybody was was trying to to help him, you know, and everybody wanted him to succeed so badly. And when Mother Love Bone happened, that, that was like, fucking forget it. That record was so amazing. Those shows were unbelievable. With all of that in front of him, he still could not step away. You know, he could not put it down. He got clean. The band was, you know, they finished the record. They were getting ready to go on the road. And then he has that one instance, you know, where he just choose to pick it up one more time. And I mean, of course, it's happened with a million artists and musicians since, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, yeah, and you know, and, well, the, and, and not to interrupt, the, 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 just made me think. The sad part is, is that I don't feel that 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 Andy ever had the legacy that someone like Brad had from sublime. I mean, yeah. look at what happened. Brad passed away right when that record, he never saw the success of that record yeah. and they became a household name. And, and, and mother love bone is obviously and Andy is, is revered by all these musicians, yourself included. But, uh, it, it's a shame that, that, uh, that the, the addiction, uh, snuffed his life out at such a young age. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. And that's really what that second verse is all about. You know, that, that, that fear you have is, you're going to do this and and then you're not going to be able to appreciate what it is you've, you've built. And, and, and that's, you know, it was easy for me, I think on the outside singing this verse because Andy had been gone at that point a year, I think maybe even a year and a half. Um, and that the cold day when you lost control, um, you know, when, when you just couldn't stay away from the heroin, um, you know, it was, I was just telling his story and, and, from that, from again, from that perspective of the drug, um, I'm here. You're going to use me. I really wish you wouldn't, um, but um, you chose this, and you know, let's roll the dice and see what happens. And unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, Andy lost that uh, lost that role. Was this? It almost feels like this was uh, therapy for you. Like this was written in a journal, or was this meant to always be a song, or was this a poem you had put together, or, or, or was this specifically written for Far Behind? Uh, I, it, the minute Barty started playing the bass line that first day when he came to try out, it, it, it made me think of Andy. <clears throat> we were also rehearsing, uh, I should mention, uh, in Seattle, our, our old rehearsal studio was, um, was, uh, Mother Lovebone's old rehearsal studio, uh, for, oh, wow. for a brief period. So, um, we had moved from one room because the, the heater wasn't working. And of course it's freezing cold in Seattle in the winter. So they moved us into, <laughs> they moved us into this other room for, I think about three weeks. And that's when Barty came down and, and, um, and then, um, they had told us, oh, yeah, this is Mother Lovebone's old room. And I was like, holy shit. Like there's some, there's a, so there's a song in here. Barty started playing. And I was like, I have to write this about Andy. This is, um, this is a ballad. This is what Andy was so good at. Um, and, and, uh, and I'm going to figure out how to do it. So that's what triggered it was being in that studio. But really when the band started playing a song, when Pete took it home and came back the next day with, uh, with the guitar part being the baseline and taking that, making the guitar part, I was like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be that song. And you've mentioned a couple of times that, that you refer to this as a ballad until we started speaking today. I never thought of this as a ballad, and you're you're right though. I always thought of this as a as a, as a slower rock song, but uh, it, it it is a ballad in in sentimentality, sentimentality and in tone. After 
we get out of uh, verse two, that guitar slide happens, two minute and 32 second mark. So we're only halfway through the song at this point. We're in chorus two. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to go. And it's amazing because this song never drags. There's five minute songs, man, that you just by the third minute, you're like, when is this thing over? You know, (laughs) this song, this song, for some reason, I've always said that great, great songs seem seem to move quickly. And uh, chorus two is uh, now maybe I didn't mean to treat you oh so bad, but I did it anyway. Now, maybe some would say you're left with what you had, but you couldn't share the pain. No, no, no. And again, that uh, octave part, Pete didn't play it. It's not there. Uh, <laughs> we're into uh, we're into the guitar solo. Yeah. And the guitar solo is 40 seconds long mm-hmm. from the two minute, 52 second mark to the 332 mark. Stereo guitars uh, get a bit quieter here. It's still the same progression. It's basically the chorus is just continuing, but the stereo guitars are tucked a little bit for this guitar solo. And not many bands were taking 40-second guitar solos back during this time. The guitar solo was kind of uh, uh, out of fashion, so to speak. The 80s were done. You know, bands were kind of kind of shying away from that. And, uh, you know, here you, you gave your guitarist a 40-second 40, 40 spot. Was I'm assuming that, that when you, you, you were live off the floor, was the, was the solo was overdubbed or was it done live? Uh, the, original, the original is the bed track. So the solo was overdubbed. I want to mention, you know, Pete's playing probably the greatest guitar player I've ever played with and, and hands down magic fucking fingers. I mean, um, we all know that guitar players, that, that, that tone is right here. It's not, you can play through any amp you want. You can be Eddie Van Halen playing fucking, you know, some pile of shit amp. It's going to sound like Eddie and that's Pete. Yeah. And <clears throat> when it came time to track this solo, and I love the toggle switch movement in the middle. And I like how it's, it goes from the, the G, E, D, C change to the, just the G and E movement um, yeah. and to set up that, that kind of vamping on the, on the E, uh, which is like, the, I guess you'd call it a bridge without a vocal, or there is a vocal in it, but it's, it's, my, it's a readdressed bridge. But um, we were very conscious about this solo. Pete is a huge David Gilmore fan as I'm, I think am, I am and most every guitar player and musician in the world is. And we, we spoke, pretty in-depthly about how this solo had to take the example of the lyric. It had to express that lyric. It had to express the chorus. It had to finish that story. It had to take that song to that level of the helicopter flying around you and you're standing outside of a church in leather pants with no shirt on, you know, and that's the the slash joke. But we did (laughs) talk about that. We said, we have a song here that who fucking cares how long the solo is? It has to be comfortably numb. It has to be uh, money. It has to be all those great David Gilmore solos, Pete. And and that and and if you if if you're listening to what Kelly and I are saying, you know what we're talking about. He's like exactly. And so it was very off the cuff. Um, the only thing that was um, was chatted about was a was the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And that was, I sang it to him for what I was looking for to, as the lifter for the bridge. So um, yeah, the rest yeah. of that is entirely Pete's magic and, um, and, and really happened through conversation. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta say too, I think that Kelly was integral, Kelly Gray from where he came from his yeah. background. Cause you know, if you, no disrespect to the guys I'm going to mention, if you would have had some of the producers at that time, uh, Brendan O'Brien, Bruce Fairbairn, they might've been like, Oh, the guitar solo is kind of passe. We got yeah. this, this thing can only be 10 seconds long. We can't have it. And the guitar solo is this emotive thing that it's become that you're describing the the pink floyd david gilmore where the the guitar is 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 weeping essentially through through this solo and it, and it was it was needed yeah it's beautiful it's it's uh 
It's one of my favorite solos uh, of all time of, of, of any guitar player. That's so great of you to say. That's awesome. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a magical, magical moment in that song. And it, and it, like you said, you know, it, it expresses that loss, you know, it expresses that, um, the meaning of the song it tell it finishes that story. And I think that that's what great guitar players do is, um, is yeah. they take that and they just say, you know, this is, this is just my, you know, extension of that lyric. And, and, uh, and, you know, Pete is one of those guys. I mean, hands down, one of the greatest guitar players, uh, in the history of rock and roll, in my opinion. Right on. Well, when we get into the bridge, I love these guitar stabs with the diminished chords. Jaint. It's so cool. And then you come in with the ah, no, no, ah, no, 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 no. And then... <laughs> I I wrote these down because you can't find these online. I think you say "Oh myself, all alone." No, something like uh, that. Uh, no. Oh no no no. Say uh, oh no it's oh no no no. I'm saying may 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 may. So it's it's doesn't. I'm really scatting myself into that uh, chorus because <laughs> I I don't have what it is that I'm looking for. Um, so I don't really know if I know what I said there, um, and I don't know if if I were to you know, kind of do what you did and sit there and pick it apart, I could probably put something there. I don't think you could either. And again, I don't know how many songs where someone's like, I don't really know what I sang that ended up being a hit of this magnitude. Again, it's, it's incredible, man. Thank I'm like, you. I'm, I'm happy for you. It's like, it's a, I, I always love a feel good story and it doesn't get much better than this. Uh, the very end you say, see, I know, see, I know. And then you say, but maybe, and on the, but maybe there's this descending guitar run that leads us into the chorus three. It's awesome. I, I love I love that part to set up chorus three. I'm calling it chorus three, but I'm also cor- calling it a verse chorus morph. And then I put, I really think this is an outro. It is. It's an outro. <laughs> it's, it's an, an outro chorus because it's just it's just the movement between the G and E. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And again, some of the lyrics here, you you get uh, a, a lot of streaming uh, stream of consciousness scatting near the end here. So bear with me on these lyrics. But basically, you said, but maybe. Uh, said, maybe I didn't mean to treat you oh so bad. Oh, but I did it anyway. No, saying now maybe. Never now, baby. Some would say you're left with what you had. But you couldn't share the pain, no. I said, times have changed, your friends. They come and watch you crumble to the ground. They watch you suffer. Yeah, they hold you down, hold you down. Now maybe, oh, oh, maybe... And I put a question mark. Maybe love? <laughs> It's baby, it's baby brother love. Baby brother love. Yeah. Ah, okay. Baby yeah. brother love. I didn't mean to treat you bad, but you left me far behind on that first line. Of, but you left me far behind. That descending guitar riff comes back in. That could run. Left me far behind. Left me far behind. And the, the uh, descending guitar runs on all three of those lines. And then the song just, just ends. Again, it takes you on this five-minute journey. I knew in my heart there had to be a big story behind this lyric because it this song really is not to take anything away from the guitar solo, anything away from the instrumentation or the, the actual song and the, the arrangement of the band, but it's all about the vocal. The vocals pretty much, it doesn't doesn't stop in the song except for the solo. And and the the uh, the subject matter what you're speaking of is, is so heavy it, it was warranted for that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that the patience of of this song, patience of the of the lyric, the patience of the melody, the patience of the of the guitar part, the bass line, and the drums, how they all fit together and allow one another to speak um, and to support one another, is what made this song kind of, you know, thirty years later be so special to so many people. As a musician, you can only ever hope that you write a song that people will gravitate to or or that changes somebody's life or or 
changes yours and affects somebody some way. That's what you hope for. We all as musicians, and of yeah. course you guys know this, you want to write that song that everybody recognizes you for. And um, I get asked all the time, you know, do you, do you get sick of playing? I was like, there's no way in hell I could get sick of playing this song. Because the, like you mentioned, the simplicity of this song is what makes it so listenable and and real to people. And it's it's not complex in in its shape it's complex in its story and and how it came together and what that one person uh, that inspired the song meant to you know a young singer well, there was definitely some lightning in a bottle stuff going on with this track man yeah. there, there, there 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 really was you guys you guys hit the, hit the nail on the head here. So, uh, Kevin, I want to I want to thank you so much for sitting in today. Thanks yeah, for pleasure. sharing uh, sharing the story. And uh, like you to leave the listeners with anything you have going on. Candlebox has going on. Yeah, <laughs> I know you guys are getting back on back on the road. I saw your tour days, but you're touring like you're 22 again, man. It's like nah. August 5th till like end of November. What are you thinking? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, yeah, we have a new record that comes out September 17th called Wolves, which we've actually been sitting on since January of last year, unfortunately. You know, thank God we're all healthy and and here still. Uh, you know, just looking forward to getting out there and playing some new songs, you know. Um, I've been doing, we've done some cover tracks, uh, you know, which I'm so stoked about. We did a Loverboy cover song uh, for a friend and then we did that. Um, oh, cool. Uh, wait, which one? We did Turn Me Loose. Um, which awesome. I love. And uh, we've got, I recently did Children of the Grave with um, Rudy Sarzo and a couple other really brilliant musicians, um, my drummer, oh, Robin Diaz. Killer. So yeah, I mean, I, I've been keeping myself busy and looking forward to getting that stuff out there. But really, it's just about this new record coming out um, and and getting on the road and, and saying, you know, hi to those faces that I haven't seen in a year and a half, you know? I, I feel you, hear you loud and clear there, man. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Buying Up All Your Gray, the new EP from PAC, is now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you get your tunes. Featuring members of the Juliana Theory, Zayo, and Punchline, PAC brings decades of indie, hardcore, and alternative influence to their debut release. Limited edition screen printed vinyl available now at mindovermatterrecords.com. Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. <laughs> As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Billboards from Cincinnati, Ohio. They just released their first EP called Maui on all the streaming platforms. And here's a snippet of their song, Run. Chris and Chris. So, Chris, do you think that Far Behind is the biggest demo recording of all time? I I would lean that way. I I can't think of another one 
that that had this much success. Certainly there were bands that broke out and had huge hits. You know, for instance, uh, Nirvana's Bleach was recorded for $600 and it sounds like it. Uh, the record ended up selling a couple million after the success of Nevermind, but that's a little different. I mean, this was their breakout single, uh, Candlebox. This song was massive. It propelled the, the record to sell 4 million copies. You know, quadruple platinum. That's, in, that's insane. Yeah, it's one of the biggest modern rock or alternative, whatever you want to call it, song of the 90s is Candlebox Far Behind, and it was a demo recording. That's insane. Yeah, this is a little bit different scenario than, you know, yeah, Nirvana got huge, so all of their music ever is going to be huge, but this was the breakout hit for Candlebox. Yeah, I mean, you expect a band that gets huge, their back catalog is going to sell, and even stuff that's demos and, and, and you know, not not so great recordings, but but yeah, the the fact that the you know the fact that the label i mean and and it just it the song sounds great enough for it to be a song that a label would get behind but a lot of times when you get the label suits involved well, we got to change this. this this was only a demo we got to make a real recording of it and kevin even said they tried to re-record it and they just could not capture the magic yeah i went and googled while you guys were having your conversation i was like have any other demos ever become huge hits and I couldn't find anything. But one thing that I did find that was interesting and related right back to your conversation was that Kevin cited listening to Otis Redding growing up and and that being an influence. Well, Otis Redding came up when I searched that because in sitting on the dock of the bay, the part where he whistles was from a demo where he planned to, like that was like a placeholder where he planned to put in that melody and then they just left it in the final version. That's the closest thing I could find. Uh, But I could not find any other demo recordings that became quadruple platinum (laughs) uh, selling hits. Yeah. And and we've referenced it on the show. I mentioned in the episode with Kevin that, you know, there's there's times where you do a demo and you just say something off the top of your head and that ends up becoming the lyric because it was this raw emotion that came out and you couldn't you couldn't best it when you wrote the final lyrics of the song. Uh, This is a little different because all five minutes of their <laughs> of of their just kind of free form ended up uh ended up being the track uh on the album that just defined their career after 30 years here here we are almost 30 years later still still talking about uh this band and that that that's what they're known for found a lot of interesting things researching the band i really meant what i said to him uh, that no one really sounds like candlebox you, especially going back to that time period uh they didn't jump on the seattle bandwagon uh, Kevin probably would add a hard time uh, singing low baritone like some of those guys and trying to em- emulate that sound. Uh, he had a, had a higher pitch voice. They had guitar solos. The song was five minutes. And and then again, I mentioned the bands that they toured with from Rush to Metallica to Aerosmith to Offspring. They, they weren't out there uh, pigeonholed as, as a Seattle act playing with all the grunge bands. It's like, where, where, where do you fit these guys in? I thought that was super interesting. And while you guys were talking about that, I was like, Hey, I kind of relate to that in Punchline a little bit. Back in 2019, when there was touring, the tours that Punchline did, and <laughs> it's always kind of been this way for us, but we toured with Lesson Jake, we toured with the Spill Canvas, who's like an Eba band, and we toured with the Gin Blossoms, who are like a, you know, Jangle Pop band. I kind of related to that. It's like, you know, you don't really completely fit in any one genre, but I think that could be a positive thing in, in Candlebox's instance. You know, they they could do a Metallica tour and then tour with the Flaming Lips. And then they, he toured with Rollins Band, I think he said, too. Rollins Band, and, and just the fact that, that you know, uh, Neil Peart from Rush was was studying the band enough to say, hey, you know those three songs there? You should probably put them in the middle of your set. I thought that was awesome, too, that that someone of that stature uh, cared enough about your band, thought your band was cool enough to to say, hey, why why don't you guys try this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like pretty cool, pretty cool humble brag there. Um, also, I thought it was really cool that Kevin said that he rarely writes the lyrics before he's, it sounded like before he's in the booth, basically, which that's wild to me to just go in there freestyling. I mean, maybe here and there, maybe a line. I know that we've been under the gun in the studio before and like, we got to think of a line here, but to come in completely blank and just go on raw emotion 
and you know, like he said, recorded these vocals at four in the morning and it was about something that was really personal to him. And then what came out of him was a hit song. That's you, you called it a feel good story during the episode. I think that's a pretty good feel good story. Yeah, no, it, it's amazing. And when you go to research the lyrics, none of them are right online. I don't even know if the lyrics, if they put them in their original album, you can't really decipher. Even he said some of the things he was saying was really just stream of consciousness is what came out that that raw emotion, because it was it was such a heavy topic, which I want to get into in a moment. But Chris, something I did not mention in the episode, can't believe I left this out. I had it in huge parentheses at the, at the bottom of my notes here, but I think I know the answer. I don't I don't think we need Kevin to, to talk about this as much, but th- this might be the only song we've talked about on the show. There is no backing vocals or harmonies anywhere in this whole really? song. Really? No. Wow. There's not one backing vocal or harmony, and I think that that lends itself to the you know it's it's such a personal lyric about what he's talking about of course uh andrew wood uh, they called him andy from mother love bone uh, mother love bone was uh signed by mercury in the late 80s they put out their only major label album uh in march of 1990 called apple uh destined for success by all accounts from anybody that was part of that scene uh they 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 may have been the first breakout uh, if you want to call them grunge alternative seattle band had Andrew uh, uh, not su- succumbed to uh, his addiction, uh, which happened, I believe, in June or July of 91. So four months after the album was released, he passed away. It's always so interesting when there's such a specific story behind this. This wasn't a story about like addiction in general or whatever. This is about a specific person. I thought it was really cool. He said he met him when he was 16 years old in a shoe store and, and he talked to him. And think about that, man. Think about the effect it it can have on, on both sides. Think about you being Chris from less than Jake. If someone's young and in a band and you take that time to talk to them, that they could then go on to be inspired by you all all that time. Just, you may have exchanged a few sentences with someone and inspired them to start a band at some point. Who knows? You know, it's like it can go so far and, and just the other way too. If you're that kid, if you're that person who's inspired by someone who took the time to talk to you, I thought, that was a really neat story. It, it was. And, and Andrew Wood was only 24 years old when he passed. Wow. I mean, it's just he, he, he was he was so young. And again, he's still cited as an influence uh, among among so many musicians. And uh, I thought that was really cool that Kevin shared that story. You could tell that, uh, you know, 31 years later, it, it still bothers him, you know, and it, it, it right. bothered him enough to, to write this song, and, which was interesting. He talked about how they uh, ended up uh, re- writing this basically in Mother Love Bone's rehearsal space. He just felt this vibe. And as soon as uh, they the the I don't think it I think it was the bass player, uh, Barty, he was saying, I think it, he was, came up with a bass line uh, mm-hmm. that ended up being the guitar part uh, that the lyrics just flowed out and the song just happened. That's really interesting. And what I really love about doing this podcast, Chris, this has happened a few times now, is at the time this song came out, I feel like I was really like in my punk phase. And if it was on the radio, I wasn't interested in it. And I didn't have the Candlebox album or anything. But after this episode, after hearing Kevin talk about it, like I'm a fan of this song now. It's hard not to be. Yeah, that that's happened a lot on, on this show. That's, uh, you know, being able to dissect a song, looking at it in a different way that we're, we're looking at it, not looking at it. Oh, this song was on the radio or I was a young punk or that takes me back to this time. That wasn't a good time in my life. None of that matters. I'm just analyzing the song for what it is. What an interesting song. And again, to talk about those backing vocals that, and harmonies that aren't there. Uh, I don't think this song uh, lent, lent itself to that. I think it was such a personal lyric that it was just one person narrating this thing. And, and it, it's perfect as it is. Yeah, Chris, Far Behind doesn't have harmonies, but you know what does have a lot of harmony? What is that? You and I on the After Party podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we do. That's, that's pure harmony, pure bliss. The After yeah. Party uh, podcast is a lot of fun. It's part of our supporting cast program where you can find out all about that at ChrisDemakes.com. You, too, can be a member and join and uh, get bonus episodes. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. We have a lot of fun talking about everything from TV theme songs to John Cougar Mellencamp. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we never know what we're going to talk about, but there's lots of great stuff. Hey, we've talked about some really cool Less Than Jake tours, Chris's experience on tours like uh, the Descendants tour or with Blink or all kind of cool Project Revolution tour, all kind of stuff like that. We've 
reflected on some cool things and we've analyzed some music and we've ranked our favorite things. Basically, it's a lot of fun and things we don't do on the normal episode of Chris Makes a Podcast. That's right. I even got to interview you, Chris, and, and learn learn way, way way more about you than I than I ever uh, thought I thought I could possibly know. It was awesome. Yeah, I never thought that Chris from Less Than Jake was going to interview me and it happened on the after party where dreams come true. <laughs> That's right. I'm still doing live one-on-one Zoom video consultations. If you, a friend, someone in a band want me to produce a song with you, collaborate on a song with you, or answer any and all music business related questions, hit me up at chrisdemakes at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to love to chat with you, help you out. Hell yeah, man. And Chris will not leave you far behind like this episode. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was a reference to this episode. <laughs> I will not. I will not. Speaking of far behind, I want to thank this week's guest, Kevin Martin, for sitting in with us. It was a lot of fun. We'll see you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.